Welcome to Thrive, your agency resource, the only podcast for creative, media, and technology leaders who are ready to dive deeper into conscious leadership and agency growth. I'm your host, Kelly Campbell. Thrive is brought to you by Accessibility, the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Join thousands of agencies that are already incorporating web inclusivity into their service offerings. Visit accessibility.com today. So welcome back to another episode of Thrive. Last time I had a great conversation with Dan Englander and we talked about bringing human connection into the outbound sales process. I hope you enjoyed that show. Today, I am thrilled to chat with my friend Arthur Woods, who is an author, speaker, and co-founder of Matheson, technology-based DEI firm. We're going to dive into the best practices of hiring for diversity, which also happens to be the name of his latest book. Arthur, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to chat with you, my friend. It is great to see you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. So in my work with agency leaders, and I'm wondering if this is the same for you, I find that many of them talk about the desire to hire underrepresented candidates and just in general lead more inclusive firms. But I think that they have a false sense that maybe hiring a queer person of color, for example, is going to kind of solve their homogenous team issue. Mm. If you encounter that as well, (laughs) which by your head nodding, I'm like, yep, you do. How do you educate people? sort of prior to that or or in that conversation, if that's how they're kind of coming in, uh, in, in their yeah. life? It's such a great question, Kelly. I mean, I think so much of this, you know, to unpack comes down to the idea that everyone at a 30,000 foot level, I, I think that is, you know, an agency leader today understands kind of the business case for diversity, understands maybe the strategic case, understands that, look, if we have diversity of thought, not only is it going to enable us to innovate, but it enables us to reflect the very communities we're trying to advertise market and market to and create for, right? But I think there's a there's a difference between that kind of high level alignment and the actual reality of the fact that for, for many leaders today, they don't understand that um, first of all, this isn't just an optical issue. Like we need to just change the 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 sort of visual diversity in the room. We actually have to fundamentally change our systems, adapt the mindset of decision makers, and really create psychologically safe cultures for people from underrepresented communities to actually stay and thrive in our organizations. Mm -hmm. So to your point, Kelly, you know, it's not enough just to say, I'm going to throw in a diverse candidate into the mix and our, our problems are solved. We have to kind of unpack why is it that our teams look homogenous today? You know, it's been, it's been really a pattern of behavior and systems that we've perpetuated, right. That have gotten us here. So there's a lot of unlearning and undoing that I think agency leaders now have to do if they really want to change that that entire environment. Yeah, and and one of the things that kind of just popped into my head as you were talking was, you know, one of the things that I often hear is when a prospective client comes to our about page on our agency website and they see just a ton of white faces, is that going to detract from our opportunity to win that business. And I think if you're looking at it uh, from that lens, you really have to, like, I think that's sort of the little aha of, oh, I'm, I am in that mindset. And so now where do I go from there? Right. I I just Mm. hear that so often. 
Oh, completely. And I think th- this is what we, we are seeing has shifted a lot of behavior among agencies and in, in the industry is that clients are demanding this. They're getting asked by their consumers to have representation. So they're the ones demanding it. And I think what we're what we're seeing with a lot of agencies is they're in this difficult challenge of, of kind of balancing the same methods of recruiting, recruiting largely only from the industry, still having these exorbitant requirements, not kind of fundamentally thinking about what it means to be underrepresented. And then trying to fulfill these client demands around having a representative team. And sometimes we've actually seen it creating this like tokenizing situation where underrepresented team members are getting promoted or they feel as though they're only getting promoted because of their underrepresented characteristics versus their aptitude, which is really what we all want to balance, right? Which is representation with skill and talent. Right, right. So before we dive into the technology platform that you've built, because I think it's absolutely fascinating and brilliant, I think it's important to start with why organizations need a DEI strategy and goal setting Mm. measures before they start implementing anything. Because everyone's so fast to rush in, right? Like we've seen this a million times with large brands or larger organizations outside of the agency space where it's like, oh, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, now we need a DEI, a head of DEI in our organization. So quick, find some blacker person or, or, you know, other person of color and put them in that role. Don't support them. I just wrote a whole article about this. So I'll I'll take a step down off of my soapbox for a second. (laughs) But really the DEI strategy and the goal setting measures, I know that's that's Mm. very fundamental to what you do at Matheson. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. And and I appreciate you asking that because it's, uh, you're right. I think w- when we talk to folks, especially in the agency world where there's such an urgency to change quickly, right? And sort of fill this gap. The first thing that everyone jumps to is we need to go source candidates. And to your point, you know, we found we can't begin to successfully and sustainably source candidates if we're not fundamentally changing the systems that they're walking into, right? We think about the entire life cycle of all the decisions that are made in the hiring process. And it's pretty riddled with bias, subjectivity, usually a lack of structure. And so what, what we've done is we've, we've indexed this, this whole kind of life cycle and determined a way of actually monitoring how equitable and accessible and inclusive are our policies and practices. What kind of an inclusive environment are we creating for candidates? And how do we need to actually change what we're doing so that we're leveling the playing field? Mm-hmm. So that when we do source a candidate, they're experiencing an inclusive, equitable process that means they're they're treated fairly, right? And, and we find that without doing that kind of work, we, we end up oftentimes creating more harm than good in this process, even despite best of intentions. So we've created this whole, we call it an equity index, which enables organizations to basically diagnose their talent systems, determine where they have gaps and actually set their diversity goals and strategy based on uh, where they need to change. One of the things that I also wanted to highlight when I was kind of looking at the positioning of Matheson, because I'm very big into positioning, the way that you describe it on your website is a single platform to build your diversity action plan, mobilize your team, source underrepresented candidates, and measure impact company-wide. What I like about that is you really are talking about the entire life cycle and the the systemic change that's really required. And it's not just a technology platform that's going to solve everything. It's kind of a technology platform to highlight or maybe accentuate the things that that need to be changed. So mm. I'm just kind of curious, you know, from a positioning standpoint, how long did it take you internally to figure out what was necessary and then how to communicate that? 
Well, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, the challenge that we faced in this work, because it's, as you know, this category is very emerging. It, it's yeah. it, even five years ago, it, it was in a much more nascent stage of development than it is today. And it'll be probably vastly different in five years than it is today as well. Yeah. So we're, we found ourselves trying to solve a problem while kind of educating folks on the problem itself in a way that oftentimes they've anchored to only one piece of the problem. So it, it's been an interesting communication exercise to basically help folks step back and say, okay, if we have a diversity issue on our teams, is it purely just a sourcing issue or do we need a more holistic approach? Because indeed it's systemic, cultural, and it, it involves the behavior of our team. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've, we found ourselves in this mode of kind of saying, we, we get that you have this problem. Let's use kind of the way that we describe the solution to help articulate and align behind a theory of change. And then let's talk about what we do together. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, Kelly, that that has been challenging because it, we, there are days we'd love to just say, it's just this widget that does this one thing. <laughs> do you find that the data that you kind of unearth for the organizations that you work with, that that data almost helps to make the case with CEOs who maybe are a little bit more analytics driven or are making decisions based on, you know, return on investment. 100%. Part of the challenge, I think, in the DEI space to date is that it's been this in this feel good category. It's like, we know it's good for the world. It's good for humanity. It feels, it feels right for us, but where is the hard science and how can we, we see sort of empirical evidence that it, that this is needed, that there's a business case. Now, there've been a lot of great, you know, HBR articles, as you know, in the last 10 years that have sort of pointed to the individual business case around more innovation, better sort of financial performance around DEI. But I think a lot of organizations have struggled to reconcile those kind of KPIs in the HBR article with what does that mean for my organization today? Right. So um, I think one of our, our, our big areas has been sort of introducing a new set of metrics which can help quantify DEI beyond just representation to include things like the equity of our systems, the inclusion of our people. And to your point, Kelly, I think that is creating a linkage for the CEO that says, I do want to see, you know, I want to treat this body of work in the same kind of business acumen that I treat something like sales and marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that one out of five people in the U.S. is living with some form of disability? I'm proud to partner with Accessity as they work toward the mission of making the web accessible to everyone. It's time to prioritize inclusivity. Ensure that your own website and your client sites can be accessed by all and that they're ADA compliant. Head over to accessibly.com forward slash thrive to learn more about their agency partner program. Now back to the show. I feel like there's so many places we could go, so many legs to this conversation. (laughs) I mean, my first one, just like my inclination is to really dive into where did we get off course? And this is probably a much Mm. bigger, longer conversation, Arthur, but like, (laughs) where did we get off course where doing the right thing and including our fellow humans and making sure everyone was supported in all the right ways? Like, where did we get Mm. off course that we also had to tie that to, but can they also make us money? Right. I know Mm. that's a bigger, more existential question, but it's just, it's something that I think about really, really often. Yeah. Why is doing the right thing? Not enough. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, you know, I was speaking to a CEO a couple of weeks ago who asked me, can you give me the business case for employee resource groups? And he really was trying to justify why is it that they should be able to meet during business hours? Why is this something that we can't, you know, just do away with? Can you explain it to me? And it was, 
it was interesting because, you know, of course, for me, it was, I've always thought of ERGs and the DEI work is just essential to business. But I think there are folks that do compartmentalize this work as like almost an elective procedure. And it's usually folks that are not marginalized, by the way. Right. And, and it's and it's kind of like, well, if, if you're not, if you're not someone who directly relates to the work, potentially as an ally, do you see its relevance, right? So I, I think where we got off course, I've thought a lot about this. And I, I think we could go back to the very beginning of like the workforce. But I think there was something around this idea, especially in the last 50 years of creating this professional archetype, which had a very specific persona and mandate. And it really was like the epitome of a white man. And we created our definition. Business books were written around that, that archetype. And we promoted it. It was like the CEO of most companies. And to be to, to thrive in a corporate environment, you had to conform to that persona, which largely meant leaving all your authentic self at home. And I think we're in this mode now where we've really embraced and these, this next generation of companies has embraced the fact that having people bring their full selves to work, first of all, they will whether we want them to or not. Right. And so we might as well create environments that celebrate that. And by the way, that creates the best culture and innovation. So I think we're in this exciting change of guard. And a lot of leaders, as you know, are, are latching on to the old guard still because they feel very threatened by this new approach. But we're in this interesting like changing of the tides, so to speak. And, and I still think that so many folks were educated on that professional archetype. <laughs> and we have to kind of, again, unlearn that piece in order to move into this next phase of work, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's really well said. And, and I agree with you. I think, I think that is, it, it's just systemic. And that's what we've been taught probably, what, since like the industrial revolution. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So this is yeah. ongoing. And that also talks to hiring one diverse candidate is not going to solve a problem that's been ongoing and pervasive for, you know, decades and decades. So yeah, very, really, really interesting. Now back to kind of the DEI strategy and goal setting and all of that. Mm -hmm. I imagine that that's typically where you, you talk about starting this process, right? So I saw on your website that you also have an ebook available. How can folks kind of like access that if that's where they at least want to get a little bit of a flavor for the kind of strategy work and just considerations, things to think about as they're putting those goal setting measures in place? Well, you know, we we love kind of starting with the the goal setting and, you know, before we dive into immediate action, let's let's sort of take stock of where we are. So, we recommend, you know, and again, a lot of leaders come to us and say, "I just want diverse candidates, quote unquote, for this role," right? And we always try to step back and say, if we can look at our processes and our systems and start to actually build that roadmap, it will enable all the sourcing you do to be way more effective and way more sustainable. And by the way, in this environment, especially as we know in the agency world where we're competing still for, for a limited number of candidates for more roles than there are candidates to fill them. This is also really about standing out to candidates in an equitable way where, where they're asking for this. So folks can actually learn a little bit more about the framework. We have some, some free resources on our site on matheson.io. And as you mentioned, Kelly, some, some eBooks and some, um, some resources around how to just get started in this. And a lot of it, by the way, is for that leader that is progressive, that gets it, but maybe their team is not as on board or their, you know, their leadership team might not be on board. It's how to sort of tell the story about a more sustainable approach to this work. And it's largely kind of equipping that person. So we have some great resources uh, on our site, including some eBooks that folks can, can go and download. What I heard you say earlier was that there are some organizations that are coming to you with the belief that you are essentially that you have some kind of like talent pool of diverse candidates and you're just essentially going to help them, right? Like, or they just want some kind of coaching or consulting on how to hire more diverse candidates. 
and then you're kind of zooming out. So I think that's really interesting that, again, it comes back to this unlearning, right? It's like mm-hmm. we, we keep doing the same thing over and over again, trying to, to change our culture, but it really comes down to this more holistic systemic change. And, you know, talk for just a minute about like what kind of commitment is really required mm-hmm. of agency leaders and leadership teams. Yeah, well, and I, and I like what you just said, which is like, we can't expect to repeat the same behavior and achieve a different outcome. Like th- this is a time to, if we really want to see change, we have to commit to it. You know, for, for agencies, I think that are starting to do this work really well. One is that they're essentially agreeing as a leadership team, not just the talent or HR function, this is a collective need and, and it's collectively owned. So we see some great organizations like Horizon Media that have said, this is this is a you know something that everyone is part of, right? We're all part of this, this, this sort of DEI strategy together and hiring managers all the way up to the leadership team will be accountable and responsible. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that they have really committed to the fact that you know, we will have to undergo systemic change in terms of our processes, our policies, our, our sort of talent practices in order for there to be equity, right? And then finally, one of the things we actually see is that among many agencies, there is still a fairly narrow definition of diversity itself. And I know you and I have talked about this, but a lot of agencies we find have still looked at kind of just visible aspects of diversity. And they haven't sort of always embraced the fact that diversity can be invisible. It's intersectional. So many folks, so many marginalized communities, you, you would never know a person's part of the community by looking at their LinkedIn profile, right? So we're telling agencies that there's one way to start. It's also just like holistically talking about what we mean by diversity and acknowledging that there are so many other communities that aren't typically on the radar we need to be speaking about. For the people who are curious about that, what are some examples? Yes. So one example is the older experienced worker community. Only 9% of employers consider this community to be underrepresented according to AARP. Yet, you know, we know that that older experienced workers, which are now a significant part of the workforce, um, staying, you know, staying working uh, and not retiring early, face significant ageism, especially in industries like tech, right? And, and in the agency world, we hear. So we talk about refugees and immigrants, right, that have sort of risen to the forefront, that have been underemployed in places like the United States for many years, have master's degrees in their home countries and yet have been underemployed here. Right. And so we, the, the formerly incarcerated community, which we, there are policies that have systemically prevented folks who were formerly incarcerated from being employed or even being interviewed in some places, right? So we've tried to, you know, part of the book as well is really trying to kind of highlight some of these different communities that haven't always been as acknowledged. Yeah. Well, Arthur, thank you so much. I will definitely have our awesome podcast production team put uh, matheson.io into the show notes, as well as a link to Hiring for Diversity, your new book. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. Oh, thank you, Kelly. This was awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And a final note of gratitude to the official sponsor of Thrive, Accessibility the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Learn more about the win-win proposition and keep your clients' websites inclusive and compliant. Be sure to check out their partner program for your agency today at accessibility.com forward slash thrive.